0: how many of y'all like puzzles puzzles Uh, i don't do puzzles often but when i do do them i enjoy them and uh, on one vacation the people that i was traveling with they bought a puzzle and we set it out on the main table where everyone walked past Um, and it was great so we would do a little you know here and a little bit there some before breakfast some before dinner And we were all working on the same thing, so it really drew us all together. And we got to see it all come together. And when it was done, so for us, we were working on the opera house in Sydney, uh, I believe. So whatever puzzle you're working on, there is great satisfaction because every last piece of the puzzle is in its place. Ensuring that the whole picture comes together. Today we arrive at the end of the book of Acts where every last piece of the puzzle is in its place to ensure that the church's mission comes together and is in fact accomplished, or at least the mission given in the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there to the book of Acts. Acts, once again, was written by a doctor named Luke, who also wrote the book of Luke or the gospel according to Luke. And his purpose of writing his gospel was to give give people christians or anyone who reads non-christians included an accurate account of the ministry of jesus and there we see that he is crucified and then he is raised from the dead and then his purpose in writing the book of acts was to give people an accurate account of the birth of jesus christ's church so it picks off where the gospel of luke ends and luke began with jesus so in his gospel he, or in the book of acts he begins with jesus and the disciples in jerusalem And then at the end of the book of Acts, it ends with Paul in Rome. And this morning we cover chapters 21 to 28. And uh, we see how God, how God and what God uses to bring everything together. What he uses to accomplish his purpose of bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations. Um, First, God uses a plan. So if you're taking notes, this is point number one. First, God uses a plan. So again, the end of Acts places us in Rome, and this here is the seat of world power. And you have to know that in, in, in order to fully appreciate and to see how exactly God is like actually accomplishing his plans here. And so we are in the seat of world power, and it's a Gentile power. Paul is historically, uh, he was raised in it in Judaism. Uh, and so after multiple journeys, so we looked at his first missionary journey, his second missionary, his third missionary journey, and then basically now from 21 to 28, we just see him moving towards Rome. And it all began, all of this began with the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if you turn to Acts chapter 1, go ahead and turn there, you see this plan that God is going to fulfill in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1 verse 8 this is jesus after he is raised from the dead he is about to ascend into heaven and he tells them in verse eight we'll go ahead we'll start in verse six so when they had come together that is the disciples they asked jesus lord will you at this time restore the kingdom to israel he said to them it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority but so here's what they ought to be concerned about he says but You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And that is exactly what is laid out for us in the book of Acts. The gospel goes out in power by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it sort of it goes out in sort of concentric circles. So it begins in Jerusalem, then which is, you know, a Jewish place. And then there's Judea and Samaria so Samaria, the folks, if you were Samaritan, you were half Jew, half Gentile. And then it expands even further to the end of the world. And Rome is seen as this end of the world. Again, the seat of Gentile world power. Paul's world was owned by the Romans then. So our passage today is all about Paul making his way to the end of the earth. And uh, I'll just give you a brief summary of the chapters here. Is it, this is a, first a broad outline. So chapters 21 to 23, this is Paul in Jerusalem. Chapters 24 to 26, this is Paul in Caesarea. It's directly west of Jerusalem on the coastal city. And then Paul makes his journey to Rome in 27 to 28. So that's sort of a broad outline, and now we'll sort of move in a little bit closer. It starts off with Paul in Jerusalem. This is 21 to 23. Go ahead and turn there. And the tension that Paul runs into here catapults him towards Rome. Paul arrives in Jerusalem, look at 2119, and he meets with James and the church there. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And it says after greeting them, they celebrate. James rejoices at what's going on. But James knows that the Jews in Jerusalem, they wrongly think that Paul does not believe in the Old Testament law. And keep in mind here, they're trying to reach out to these Jewish people. And so they tell him to go and basically live according to the law in relation to certain vows. So look in 21 verse 23. He says, do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. They all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you. That's Paul but that you yourself also live in observance to the law. So this isn't about shaving heads and stuff like that. This is really about, is Paul telling the people to throw off the law like he disregards it? The answer is no. He still appreciates the law, but he appreciates it and he believes it and he upholds it with a Christ-word focus, which is its true focus. So this isn't about salvation here. This is about sensitivity to the Jewish people that Paul is reaching out to. James says, look, they are they are Jews as you're reaching out to them. Show them here that you live according to the law, even though it's with a Christ word focus. And plus, he reminds them there in verse 25. He reminds them. um, But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we already sent out a letter which said you are not saved by circumcision. You don't have to circumcise the Gentiles, they say. So clearly it's not that they are somehow saved by doing the law here. This is sensitivity as he reaches out to these Jewish people. So Paul agreeing with their wisdom, he does what James says. And nevertheless, look what happens there. Verse 28, when the seven days were almost completed, that is uh, the purification aspect of the law, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, they stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. Now, that actually is the most significant charge here. The Jews are saying that he has defiled the temple. If you defile the temple, you die. And that's the one thing that the Romans had given charge to the Jews to take care of basically everything else it was underneath roman rule but if you sin against the temple that's a jewish thing you all take care of that um so paul then defends himself in 22 he defends himself from these false charges and he gives a speech about his testimony about his upbringing and then look at verse three here he says i am a jew born in tarsus of cilicia but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, very famous Pharisee, according to the strict manner of the law of our, fa- of our fathers being zealous for God, as all of you are, are this day. Um, he mentions more. He mentions even in 22, or look at 12 to 20. I'll go ahead and read that, verse 12 of chapter 22. And the one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me. This is after Jesus had appeared to him. Ananias comes to him and he says, brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait, rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name? When I had returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple. I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, that is Jesus, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that I, in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who had killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So the crowd here, they get ticked off. They are angry and they want him to die. But the tribune, a tribune is a man who's over a thousand people. A tribune, look at 24 and 25. The tribune ordered to be him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this and then get this but when they had stretched him out for the whips paul said to the centurion who was standing by is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a roman citizen and uncondemned so it's illegal here and he calls this he pulls out this roman citizen card fascinatingly he pulls it out after he's like already stretched out and they're about to whip him in his back. This, this tool is nasty. It's really designed to open up flesh and to leave it opened. Um, and it's like right before they're about to do it. He says, you know, excuse me. Is it a Lego? And uh, so he's spared by God's grace. he is spared. And then in chapter 23. The tribune, this military man, he calls a sort of pre-trial meeting with the council of the Jewish people. The community is there. Even the high priest is present. Things don't go well there. By God's grace, the leaders of the Jews, they couldn't even agree among themselves. So look at uh, 23 verse 9 to 11. Then a great clamor arose and some of the scribes of the Pharisees Pharisees party stood up and contended sharply against the other sect, the, the Sadducees. We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him in regards to the resurrection? Because that's what he was on trial for. And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him far away among them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem. So you must also testify in Rome. So the Jews here, they are angry, right? They hatch a plan to kill him. Um, but their plan is full by Paul's nephew. So Paul had a sister living in Rome, whose nephew hears about the plot, and then his nephew goes and tells Paul, and eventually Paul sends him to the tribune, and then uh, Paul is shipped off to Caesarea, basically to be tried there. It's fascinating that Paul even has a sister, and that Paul has a nephew. I mean, it would be awesome to find out how exactly you know their relationship was and if she was a believer and his nephew was a believer but we just don't have any information about that okay so if you guys are tracking with me that's paul in jerusalem he gets shipped off to Caesarea. this is 24 to 26 and in these chapters he makes his defense of his innocence before felix he's a governor and then again before a guy named agrippa ii he's a king so before Felix, here again, we're going, I know this is relatively a lot of information, but we're just going to a broad overview. Um, Felix, the governor, decided to hear his case. But again, the Jews bring false charges. Look in 24, verse 5. For we have found this man a plague, the Jews say. One who stirs up riots. So you can imagine this. this he's, they're exaggerating. One who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader at the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple and then in verse 11 paul ably defends himself he says he's causing no trouble he follows the law and besides that he says if i have profaned the temple where is that where are there eyewitnesses because you needed an eyewitness to bring this type of these acute these accusations before the governor felix then keeps him in house arrest for over two years that's in verse 27 Felix gets uh, Felix rotates off. Another governor comes in. His name is Festus. It's not a very pleasant name. Sounds like he's rotting. Eventually, the Jews go to Festus, and they're still bringing their false charges against him. This is in verses seven to twelve of uh, chapter twenty-four. Oh no! This is uh sorry 25 when he had arrived the jews who had come down from jerusalem stood around him bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove paul argued in his defense neither against the law of the jews nor against the temple nor against caesar have i committed any offense but festus as the governor the new governor wishing to do the jews a favor said to paul do you wish to go up to jerusalem and there to be tried on these charges before me But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews, I have done nothing wrong, as you yourselves know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to the charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his council, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. Um, So here he defends himself here. And he does so ably. And then eventually King Agrippa comes along. He gives a longer defense of his upbringing, his testimony again. And this is to the king. And they conclude in verse 31 of chapter 26 there. 31, they conclude, the king here concludes, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. And then, basically, he makes his journey to Rome in 27 to 28. He sets sail. It's an arduous journey. Paul is shipwrecked. He's bitten by a snake. And he finally makes it to Rome. And then God's providence. All of that happens. And then look how the the book ends. In... uh, Verse 20 of chapter 28. Um, He says, for this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you. That is all the Jews. So he gathers the Jews here. I have asked to see you and to speak with you since it is because of the hope of Israel. Israel being saved by Jesus Christ that I'm wearing this chain. And then look at 23. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and the prophets. And some were convinced by what he had said, but others disbelieved and disagreeing among themselves. They departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers, to the prophet Isaiah, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive for this people's hearts have grown dull and with their ears. They barely hear and their eyes. They have closed lest. They should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn that I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there for two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So God is fulfilling his plan. Acts 1.8, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then ultimately to the ends of the earth. And Paul recounts in his conversion, he recounts what Jesus said to him when he was converted, go for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Now, Rome isn't mentioned specifically. That, by the way, is in 22 verse 21. But look in twenty three verse eleven. Now he expands, Jesus expands on Paul's mission. He says in twenty three eleven, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. And then this ending here, you get this feel that the Jews are not listening, right? This is a fulfillment of Isaiah. They have eyes, they have ears, they have hearts, but all of them are hardened toward the gospel. And so Paul says this gospel of salvation now goes to the Gentiles. This is a fulfillment of Acts chapter one, verse eight. Let me say that we believe that this world is God's world. And you see how he's planning everything to bring about his great purposes. This is God's world, right? He is not like us. We had a beginning. God just was. He is and forever will be these are god's plans here unfolding right before us he is creator over everything and he displays his sovereignty not only in creating but then also in predetermining right this is a fulfillment of a promise here that the jewish people's hearts would be hardened and then the gospel then would go to the gentiles i mean listen to god's sovereignty in isaiah 46 verse 9 i am god and there is no other i am god and there is none like me. Now this is how it defines who God is and how there is no other God like me. He says, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purposes. So it was God's purpose to get the gospel to the ends of the world, to the entire world, Jews and non-Jews. So the fact that you are hearing a non-Jew speak the gospel to you, in the country of America, is evidence of God fulfilling His plan. So, as you stand here, sit here today, you are part of that plan. Isn't that amazing? That what began here in Acts continues on even today in God's providence, in His sovereignty. God uses a plan to bring about His great purposes. That's point number one. Second, God uses Roman policy. He uses politicians and he uses persecution. That's all point number two. He uses Roman policy. He uses politicians and he uses persecution. You know what, what guaranteed Paul's safe passage to Rome? It's a far distance. Roman policy, Roman law. Interesting, isn't it? So turn to Acts chapter 22, verse 25, 22, verse 25. Here, Paul is in Jerusalem and the tribune He wants to get a confession out of him through flogging, as we already mentioned. And to read this verse again. But when they had stretched him out for whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? Right? This is illegal, okay? So the tribune, he realizes that what he's doing by, um, you know, basically he's about to torture him uh, by bringing the charge and then torturing him before he's guilty. He sort of steps back in fear. So this is a big deal, and he realizes it. So he backs up. Um, so this, this, him claiming, I am a Roman citizen, freedom from torture, but it also guaranteed his way to Caesar, because that's what the policy said. You could actually plead your case before the highest ruler in the world at the time. And so that guaranteed him, by law at the very least, safe passage to Rome. And Paul brings this up in 25 verse 10. You can go ahead and turn there. Here he stands before Festus. Festus doesn't really know what to do with him. So he says, do what you wish. Or do you wish to be tried in Jerusalem? He says, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. Send me, basically, to Caesar. Festus says, to Caesar you have appealed. To Caesar you shall go. So you see how God is putting everything in place, even by using those who crucified Jesus. He's bringing about his will by using even the Roman policies uh, to bring about his purpose, by getting the gospel to the ends of the earth. He also uses politicians. So all these people, you got Felix, right? Felix the governor. He had connections to Caesar. His brother worked for Caesar. Interesting. Not only that, but his his brother-in-law was Agrippa II. So Agrippa II's wife, Drusilla, they were, uh, Drusilla was his sister, Felix's sister. And so you just imagine that, you know, for various reasons, God is saying, you know, all he's using this man with all of his connections too to ensure that Paul stays alive. And then you even get this as they make their political moves. So at one point in time, Felix keeps Paul under guard for two years. Okay. Do you guys know why he does that? Is because he wants to do the Jews a favor. And then even Festus, Festus says, do you want to be tried in Jerusalem? Right? He thinks that he's doing the Jews a favor as well. But Paul says, no, send me to Caesar. Um, But it's interesting in this jailing. um, Remember that the Jews are trying to kill him. So they're trying to get him out in the open so that they can ambush him. But Felix says, no, you're staying in jail as a favor to the Jews, he thinks. So even in that, by God's providence, Felix is actually protecting him from death in order that he would go to Rome and preach the gospel. So he uses policy, he uses politicians, but he also uses persecution, right? What actually landed him in the hands of the Romans? Well, it's the persecution at the hands of the Jews. The Jews were beating him in twenty-one twenty-eight. The tribune here, he's just doing his job. He keeps the peace. There's a mob rebellion, and so he squashes it. And he wants to find out who Paul is, and then so he tries to whip him. So the Jews, oh my goodness, they're seen as really persevering in their hatred. And we've talked a lot about how Christians ought to expect some degree of difficulty in life, even persecution. But the Jews here, oh, they are angry. Look at 23 verses verses 12. Yeah, verse 12, turn there. When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. So what's the purpose of their fasting? They're fasting in order that they might kill him. That's their oath. They're angry. And then over two years later, under Festus's rule, they're still trying to manipulate the situation in order to fulfill their mission of killing Paul. That's in 25 verse 3. So I love how... Uh, you know in in 23 verse 12 i love how there's two plans set against each other Uh, go ahead and look there 23 verse 12 so there you have the jews plans to kill him but did you notice whose plans come before that look in verse 11 this is jesus jesus says take courage for as you have testified to the facts about me in jerusalem so you must also testify about me in rome awesome how how god sort of takes these two plans and then of course we know who exactly is going to come through with their promise the jews can fast all they want to they can make oaths all they want to but god has planned to do something else the fact that god uses persecution to bring about his purposes is not new the jews hadn't learned their lesson so in acts 7 and 8 the jews they kill stephen And then there's a great persecution and the Jews are scattered. This is what it says in 8 verse 1. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. But, right, nothing's going to stop God's plan. Nothing threatens God from fulfilling what he's promised. Look what happens in 8 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. So as we seek to apply this passage to our lives You know, we're looking at Roman policy, politicians, and persecution. Isn't it interesting that none of those things stop God's plan? And in fact, he uses all of those things to fulfill God's plan. So isn't it encouraging for us that our hope ultimately doesn't lie in any uh, freedom from persecution to our situation? It doesn't lie in, you know, some sort of nation like America. And it doesn't even lie in the nation's policy At the end of the day, they can legislate everything they want to. But at the end of the day, God is going to use that to bring about his glorious plan. This is God who is sovereign over all of it. And finally, our hope is in Christ and in his kingdom. So can you guys put yourself in Caesar's shoes, right? This is Caesar, the ruler of the known world. He and his team are crafting up laws and legislation. They're figuring out how to implement them. And then they figure out how to uphold them throughout all of his kingdom through King Agrippa II, through Festus the governor, through Felix the governor, and then even the tribune. And you know, they all thought, I'm sure, that they were maintaining the order of the Roman Empire, that is Caesar's kingdom. But in reality, all of that legislation, all of that manpower in God's sovereign providence was helping to pave the way for the establishment of Christ's kingdom here on earth incredible isn't it that through their workings the lord would use it to establish his reign of grace and make clear the gospel of jesus christ to provide safe passage so that paul would bring the gospels to the end of the earth the seat of power in this gentile world it makes us ask the question is your hope in the only sovereign if not what is your hope in is it a nation is it in health coverage is it in yourself your own attainments your skills or is it in other people friends why would you want to put your hope in something that's not ultimate why would you want to put your hope in something that requires oversight you see how limited that is you know like yourself you require oversight because we can't do everything perfectly our nation our nation certainly requires oversight they can't even get it right Why put your hope in something that requires oversight instead of the one who oversees everything? Hope in God alone. This was Paul's hope, which brings us to point number three. God uses Paul. Paul's hope was in God. He hoped in the one who was over all things, and it was the Lord who appeared to him on the road to Damascus, who appeared to him in the shining light. It was the Lord who charged him to go to the Gentiles with the gospel. And this was the Lord's command. And Christ's words also are what encouraged him in the midst of persecution, right? So as he recounts his conversion story in 22 verse 21, he says, I will take you far away to the Gentiles. So he has in his mind that Jesus told me a command and has given me a mission and therefore it's going to happen. And then before the council, after the rage of the Jews swarms again, Christ appears, fills in that plan. 23 verse 11, take courage, Paul, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. And then in verse 27, here's a a beautiful chapter of how Paul really understands how God is going to accomplish his, what he's promised. Look in, in chapter 27, verses 21 to 26. chapter 27 21 to 26 okay so paul here he's sailing and they get shipwrecked and look at 21 you i want you guys to see this confidence that he has in god since they had been without food for a long time paul stood up among them and said men you should have listened to me and not have set sail from crete and incurred this injury and loss so paul had told them he said if we do this we're it's we're going to suffer verse 22 now i urge you to take heart for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. So here they're in the middle of a storm and the waves are just bashing them. And he's saying that no one will suffer loss among you of their life except from the ship. For, here's the reason, this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. That's his hope. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted for God, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. And he says, but in order for that to happen, we must run this ship aground. We have to be shipwrecked, basically. See, so see, there who who he trusts in, he trusts and hopes in God. You know, for many of us, we know that our faith is weak. And it's a misplaced faith, oftentimes. Faith in our health. Faith in our circumstances. And so when we experience this difficulty, we live, maybe, in long seasons of despair. And some of you guys might know that. As you face, you know, a a bad prognosis, you face difficulty even now. But for Paul, interesting, he says, even in the face of difficulty... He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, I don't want you guys to get a wrong picture of Paul. We know that Paul despaired. So Paul is never always happy-go-lucky. He is never always chipper. Like That shouldn't be the Christian's position because we see suffering is real. Okay, so turn to 2 Corinthians 1. I want you guys to, to really understand this here. Paul is despairing of life turn to 2nd Corinthians chapter 1 we got Romans we got 1st Corinthians we got 2nd Corinthians 2nd Corinthians chapter 1 oh this is just a beautiful chapter for those who are going through suffering for those who need encouragement and he lays out the context and he says look if you have suffered Like I have, we receive the comfort of Jesus and we receive the comfort of Jesus in order that we might comfort others with the comfort of Jesus. And so for me, you know, in the last year, you know, the the greatest suffering that has gone on more so for my father, is, is the passing of his wife, my mother. And he says here that in the midst of that, we receive the comfort of Jesus, even though it's difficult in order that we might comfort others who go through the same things, Holding out the hope of Christ. And look at 8. Okay, this is Paul. He knows suffering. Look, he's been beaten, he's been shipwrecked, all this stuff. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength. So this man is exhausted. Utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt as if we had received the sentence of death. Right? This is not a guy who is chipper. This is not a guy who is always happy-go-lucky. This is a guy who struggles. But interesting to see what happens as he places his, his trust and his hope in God. He says, but, but, that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead even in the face of death when they feel like they're experiencing the sentence of death itself he says that happened in order that we might trust in god who is able ultimately to raise me from the dead beautiful hope isn't that and that is the hope that we should have even though we still suffer in the midst of persecution and difficulty So in the middle of difficulty, there is purpose in it. And Paul knows that. And so his hope is in God. And the scriptural view of God informed his life and mission. How else was Paul the right man for the job as God was using Paul? He was deeply schooled in Judaism. So he had a Jewish education. But he also was very familiar with Greek literature and education. And so he's able to speak ably with both of those types of people, the Jews and the Gentiles. Paul was also a zealous man. And so it's awesome to see his, uh, him hold out and hold on to Jesus Christ and the hope of the gospel. And so he's so zealous. So his life is being turned upside down. You can imagine it just emotionally, spiritually, his friends are changing, right? So he turns from Judaism to Christianity. He's beaten, near flogged. He's locked up under house arrest. And what is he doing? He's evangelizing his rulers who have the power to squash him like a fly in twenty four twenty four, he's re- reasoning to felix this is in the book of acts he's reasoning about righteousness and then in front of king agrippa he makes his defense right keep in mind he's convicted that if he is convicted they are going to kill him turn to 26 verses 22 and 23 it's important to note here 26 verses 22 and 23 he says before the king who has the power to kill him or at least to hand him over to the Jews. To this day I have, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great. Saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. That is that Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead. He would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. <laughs> and then he goes on. This is. I'll just go ahead and read in 24. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words for the king knows about these things. That is a grip of the second king. The king knows about these things. And I speak boldly for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice for this has not been done in a quarter. And then get this right. 27. He's arguing his defense before the king king agrippa do you believe the prophets i know that you believe and agrippa said to paul in in a short time would you persuade me to become a christian and paul said whether short or long i would to god that not only you but also all who hear me this day might become such as i am except for these chains he's evangelizing the judge basically and it's his own court trial How awesome is that? It just displays here, really, the hope that he has in Jesus. Paul was a zealous man. That's why God is using him here and showing us an example. His zeal is then informed by knowledge of Jesus, the true fulfillment of the Old Testament, and then God uses that for his glory. Another one, Paul was a Roman citizen. We've already seen that here. Paul pulls out the Roman citizen card, and that carts him off to to, uh, Rome. And then, of course, Paul was a sinner. Guilty of killing Christians. So he's able very much to testify to God's saving grace. That salvation comes not by works of the law, but by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. You know, he, he makes his appeal to these rulers. And you've got to imagine that as he's talking about Stephen being stoned. And then as he talks about how he was persecuting Christians by chasing them down. And bringing them to Jerusalem. You've got to expect that there is remorse. And deep conviction. That here is a man who thought he was worshipping God. By persecuting these Christians. But then he comes to realize that all of his actions. Were working against the very God he claimed to worship. This is why he says in his letters that he is the chief of sinners. This here is a man who is saved by grace and he knows it. And he's able to share this gospel of grace. Freedom. Freedom. In Jesus Christ, as opposed to being enslaved by the law. For us today, as we try and apply this section to our lives, Paul is on a mission. You know that we are on a mission as well. That the Great Commission doesn't end with Paul. As Jesus said, go and make disciples. Baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And you know that that commission is for us. Because Jesus promises his presence to the end of the age. That is until he returns. Until time ends. He says that he is with the church. So what are you doing to get the gospel out? Individually. What are you guys doing? Do you guys realize that you are uniquely situated? You, each one of you, are uniquely situated to be a a testimony to Jesus Christ. So you all have your family. That is not my family. That's that's God's providence. He has placed you in the family that you live in and that you spend time with in the friend circle that you have uniquely. You are uniquely positioned to be a light and a gospel to those friends. They are not my friends. So the question then is, or probably most of them are not my friends, the question is what are you doing to get the gospel to them? When was the last time you shared the gospel to your family members? Or the people in your circle of friends? Friends, you are charged with sharing them to them, the good news of Jesus Christ. For us as a church, the gospel, the Great Commission of us sharing the gospel applies to us as well. So when it comes to foreign missions, it is exciting that we take part in the Great Commission. And so some of us even here are considering spending their lives giving uh, or sharing the gospel overseas. A handful of us. Uh, so it's fantastic. When the time comes that you all want to actually go overseas, let us know so we can be praying for you, laboring for you, encouraging you. And then also as a Southern Baptist Church, some of the donations we give goes towards sending out missionaries through the International Mission Board. It's a wonderful thing that we uh, should strive to do. Another thing here, church planting at home. So it's my desire, it's my hope really that we would be in a position to plant many churches over the next 30 years or however long this church goes for um so it's my desire now if the lord doesn't bring it about that's okay uh, but it's my desire in these next five years to plant a church somewhere in this general area in the san gabriel valley and then every two years after that be planting churches now we need uh, a lot of things need to go towards getting us to a place where we can actually do that and we do that in faith but our hope isn't ultimately in some plan that i've come up But it's in a plan that God intends us to share the gospel and plant new churches everywhere in the world. So those are exciting opportunities as we move forward, thinking about how we can participate in the plan to bring the gospel uh, to the ends of the world. And what encouraged Paul in Acts 18 should encourage us. Jesus says, do not be afraid. Okay, So if you fear sharing the gospel, Jesus says, do not be afraid, but go on speaking. And do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people, who are going to be saved. Around your workplaces, around your neighborhoods, and in your families. Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. There are many people in this city who are my people. Fourth, final point, God uses the preaching of the gospel. He uses the preaching of the gospel we've seen this throughout the book of acts god is determined to build his kingdom through the preaching of the gospel not through legislation but through the act of preaching the good news and so churches are very much embassies of the heavenly kingdom this heavenly future kingdom exists and churches every local church that preaches the gospel is an embassy of the future heavenly kingdom and we herald with all authority the king's message. And we exist on the authority of the king. And so, you know, if you're going to go get your passport renewed, you have to go to your embassy if you're in a different country. So that's what we did in Dubai. We have to go to the embassy. And they're the one who tells us, yes, we affirm that you are an American citizen. Um, and so we as a church, we herald forward this gospel of the king with the authority of the king. Isn't that incredible? Then Hacian Heights, there is an embassy of the heavenly kingdom right here on Galemont to be preaching the gospel to everyone that is around us. So God uses the preaching of the gospel. And that's exactly what Paul is doing at the end of the book of Acts. Go ahead and turn there again. We'll just go ahead and read that one more time. Verse 23, it says, the second sentence of verse 23 From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And then in verse 28, he says, therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there for two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God. And teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. It's amazing how the book ends. What happened to Paul's appeal to Caesar, right? How did it go? If you're interested at all in history, you should be wondering like, whoa, what happened? It's fascinating to know that Caesar is just a little blip in the book of Acts. The man who holds all earthly power at that point in time is just a little blip in the book of Acts. Amen. The ending leaves us fixed on the right things, not the acts of an earthly king, but on the gospel of the true king, the Lord Jesus, and the gospel of his kingdom. And then we ask the question, you know, how, where and how did Paul die? In fact, Paul was beheaded by Nero, the emperor, Caesar. But yet that's not in here because as we know that we tend to idolize things like saints, for example, or, or any sort of idol that we might make, you know, it's very actually it's actually quite appropriate that Paul's death is not included. But once again, what we, we, we are left on is the gospel of the true king, that God's work continues. What God promised in Acts verse one, uh, chapter one, verse eight, he fulfills and he's fulfilling even now. Very Fascinating. This gospel is heralded. That's what we leave. That's that's what is the last note here. That God the creator sent his son to die on the cross for rebels. Taking the sin, the wrath, the punishment that we rightly deserved for sinning against him. And now Jesus stands ready to save everyone. That's in the book of Acts. Everyone who calls on the name of Jesus can be saved. Forgiven of their sins. So the question then is, have you believed on him? Those who do receive a Right standing with God, forgiveness of sins, right relationship with him. The end also leaves asking, the the end of the book leaves readers asking the question, what will we do now? Will we repent and believe now that we have heard? Will you reject or will you accept? Repent and believe on Jesus Christ. Acts presents the plan, the gospel to the ends of the earth. God uses all those things to bring about its fulfillment. The Bible presents a plan as well, where God is moving in such a way to rescue sinners and to glorify himself through Jesus Christ, who alone belongs all the glory, the honor and praise. God is our sovereign and in him we can trust and delight in as he is our greatest hope. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you that you are a powerful God and that you are a faithful God. We know, Lord, that you even promised Abraham that he would be a blessing to the nations, all of the nations. And we know that you fulfill that because his seed, that is Jesus, is the blessing to all nations. As in him, you are drawing together a new man. People, though we may be different and from every tribe and every tongue and every nation, we are all unified underneath the blood of Jesus Christ. We praise you, Lord Jesus, for being king. And we thank you that we are, by your grace, to be an embassy of your future heavenly kingdom. As we proclaim the gospel of the king with the authority of the king. Because we preach and teach your word. The words from your mouth. So, Lord, make us careful. We pray, Lord, that we as a church will be able to search everything that is taught to see whether or not it is, in fact, from the Bible. We pray that you would preserve this pulpit and that everyone who preaches here would be a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, Lord, we pray that we as a church, as that embassy, that we would, in fact, be able to be preaching the gospel and sharing the good news of Jesus with everyone that we come in contact with. Lord, we pray that you would make us a light here in this place. In your name we pray. Amen.